This sermon, Jesus Will Make You Clean, was preached by guest preacher Tom Wilkins on Sunday, July 18, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. Here's what I would hope to accomplish this morning in the preaching of God's Word. No matter how great your suffering or how deep your sorrow is or how grievous your sinfulness is or was, There is hope in healing, and there is hope for forgiveness, and that is all found in the person, Jesus Christ. It's found only in Jesus. It's found most certainly in Jesus. So exclusively in him is where our hope is found, but certainly in him. We'll often run other places. It's certainly in him. And also that Jesus would be exalted, that we would marvel at the wondrous cross, which we've already begun to marvel at in our singing, in which Jesus bore our sins, he received the wrath that we deserved, and he took our place on the cross, receiving it all, drinking the cup of God's wrath instead of it being dumped on us for eternity. And he ascended... He raised from the grave. He gave us his spirit and he ascended into glory and he will come back one day. What a day that's going to be, isn't it? Those that are older in the room, I'm with you. I cannot wait to see the clouds part. Look, my, my, my background is dispensational premillennial. I'm ready for him to come right now. I'm ready for him to do it in a secret way. I'm ready to do it in a public way. Talk to your pastor about that. I don't believe half of what I just said anymore, but I want him to come back. Don't you? If you'd open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13 and stand with me as we read God's word together. Our text today is actually in Luke chapter 5, but we're going to read about what we're going to hear about in Luke. We're going to read in Leviticus chapter 13 a couple of brief sections that will, in a sense, set us up for what's coming In today's text, Leviticus chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, this is the Lord's word. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into the case of leprosy, disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area of the skin on his body and the hair in the diseased area. If the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, it is a case of leprosy, leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. And then later, verse 45. I would encourage you to go back privately and read this at length. It'll it'll reveal what a merciful God we worship. Verse 45, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone 
his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now go to Luke, our text for the day. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. And now even more, the report about him went abroad. Great, great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, and he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Let's pray together. You may be seated. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. And it is already becoming clear we don't have the words sufficient to thank you for what you have done for us. Those that have received forgiveness from you, words fall short to describe our gratitude in saving us. Father, I pray for anyone present that is new to hearing these words. I pray, God, that you would move on them and save them. Let them find hope in your word. God, for those of us that find these words familiar, I pray that we would be, that we'd be so affected by the word it would be as if it was poured out on us for the first time. Let it move us deeply in our worshipful response to you and our gratitude for mercy. Jesus, be exalted at the preaching of your name this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, if I didn't drag out the beginning of this enough, I want us to consider the context of this at length. So bear with me as I read at length the context. We find this amazing moment in Luke's narrative where we find Jesus beginning his ministry by healing person after person and calling his disciples and forgiving people of their sins. Throughout this story, we hear Jesus' voice again saying, be healed, be healed, follow me. Your sins are forgiven. Be healed, follow me, be healed. And it goes on throughout the telling of the gospel. The sick and the lame and the blind and the demon-possessed are healed, and they spread the news that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, has come. Rank sinners, notorious sinners, and hidden sinners are forgiven alike. The disciples are called, and they drop everything and follow this Jesus. They are in the 
presence of a person who is like no other. They witnessed Jesus having power and authority and majesty that only God himself has. And at times they rejoice, at times they are shocked and confused, and at times they're terrified, hitting the deck like Peter in the boat. In chapter 5, verse 8, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Who is this man? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are so provoked and outraged by Jesus that even as eyewitnesses to him, as they sat in the home, as the roof is torn off in Galilee, excuse me, Galilee and Judea, and as the roof is torn off, and paralyzed man is lowered right down in front of Jesus, and Jesus, looking at them, touches this man, forgives his sins, and heals him. And now we find ourselves in the midst of the story as well. I would encourage you, get lost in the story of this leper being cleansed by Jesus. Luke, the medical doctor writing this, describes this encounter where a man full of leprosy, a man covered with leprosy. Only Luke describes the extent of the disease with medical language, diagnosing the case as being of the most serious type, a full-blown case of leprosy riddling this man's body. What did it mean to be a leper? You know, just for a moment, I, it helps me to actually visually consider the, the text. It's like a paragraph in your Bible. And there is a lot of content. The leper comes, and he's mentioned, just briefly at the front end, there's a lot that is said after that. But you know, in the minds of the original hearers, you heard the word leopard, there would be a mountain of things that would race through their minds. When you hear a loved one, or yourself, possibly have cancer. It doesn't have to be a lot said after that. Everyone in the room and in the family knows. There's a lot that comes with that. There's a lot that comes with leper in this text. Kent Hughes writes at length about this. Kent Hughes says this, the poor man who had come to Jesus was desperately ill. Luke, a doctor, describes him as being covered, literally full of leprosy. It had run its course in this man's life. By this, we understand the disease had run its course. None of us needs to de- detail description of the poor man's loathsome appearance. If you have seen one picture of someone full of leprosy, it is enough. Leprosy today, or Hansen's disease, is better known named after the man who diagnosed its original cause, is not a rotting infection in and of itself as it once was commonly thought, nor are the sufferer's outward physical deformities horribly disfigured by the disease itself. In recent years, researcher Dr. Paul Brand and others have proven that the disfigurement associated with Hansen's disease, leprosy, comes solely because the body's warning system of pain is destroyed. The disease brings numbness, to the extremities as well, to the ears and eyes and nose. The devastation that follows from incidents such as reaching into the fire to retrieve a dropped food item or washing one's face in scalding water or gripping a tool so tightly that the hands become traumatized and eventually stump-like. In third world countries, vermin sometimes would chew on sleeping lepers and the lepers even knowing it. I mean, without the lepers even knowing it. So Dr. Brand, after performing corrective surgery on a leper, would send a cat home with him as a normal post-operative protectional procedure. Dr. Brand calls the disease a painless 
hell. The poor man in Luke hadn't been able to feel for years. And his body, mutilated from head to foot, was foul and rotting. But in addition to the condition itself, the disease carried with it not only medical but social and spiritual repercussions and consequences that often were radically more devastating than the disease itself. And you actually hear some of that in the text. This was the worst news someone could get. That's like you and I hearing of cancer. In this case, it was the C word. It's not said of the C word, it's the L word. An indescribable dread would roll over within all who heard it. Yet the diagnosis that one had leprosy packed in it something much worse than we would have fear with cancer. You were put out of the camp. You know, now we rally in around family members and loved ones that contract the dreaded disease. This disease was radically different. You were put out of the camp. In the eyes of those, the society, the synagogues, the town square, the medical community, the leper was an outcast. No real life, no more social standing, a non-person. Kent Hughes says this, by Jesus' time, rabbinical teaching with its minute strictures had made matters even worse. A leper, even uh, if a leper had even stuck his head in the house, the house was pronounced unclean. It was illegal to greet a leper. Lepers had to remain at least 100 cubits away if they were upwind and four cubits if downwind. Josephus, the Jewish historian, summed it up by saying lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men walking. And indeed, the rabbi's cure for a leper was difficult, was as difficult as raising a person from the dead. A reputation of repulsiveness and disgust and vileness was the lepers. He was separated from his wife. He was separated from his children. He was separated from his family, from his community, abandoned by all, including other lepers in the colony who were hoping for a cure, but concerned his was worse. Additionally, not only did leprosy bring with it biological and social consequences, it bore the stigma of sin itself. Lepers were the picture of sin. Biblically speaking, a leper was an outward visible sign of the inward, most, in, the innermost spiritual corruption, the thinning of the skin, the whitening of the hair, the repugnant odor, the effect on those who knew, and on and on and all, an outward visible picture of the nature and corruption of sin. Why do we labor it at length about this? Because I think we'll miss the full effect of the beauty of what follows in the text. The leper has hope still. And that's shocking to me. Hour by hour, the daily hope of the leper was to be made clean. Every day would include the lifting of the bandage or looking under for improved condition. Could it be that I'm getting better, that it's going away? Consider today, it's the doctor visit after doctor visit, getting the blood result back. Is it gone? Is it gone? Is it gone? The leper's agonizing hope was to be finally set free from this horrible, 
disease. Yes, but to be clean. To be determined as clean. Now, we get to the outline. Let's consider the text, verse 12. We're going to look at three things. Begging Jesus to cleanse us. Being made clean by Jesus and telling others what Jesus has done for us. Number one, begging Jesus to clean us. All hope, it seemed, was gone for the leper. At least we would look in and say, it's over for him. But he had not lost hope. He hoped to be made clean. Why did he give any attention then to the fact that Jesus was in town? Because he had heard of a man who had healed lepers like no one could. Why did he not just give in this life of solitude and despair that day after day uh, lamenting his condition, taking his own life on the cliffs nearby? The nights were filled with hopelessness possibly, fits of dreams, mulling over in nightmares when his wife shrunk back from him and never went to see him again, when his kids stopped calling him dad and he could no longer or barely remember their voices, all of that somehow still remaining in his mind was hope and hope had come to his town. Now, do you see the difference? If we just breeze over the text, it's like, well, this guy was sick, but Jesus came. No, this guy, this guy is hopeless and Jesus has come. How did hope come to the heart of this once hopeless, possibly, man. It's because he had heard of Jesus. Other texts tell the story. All three of the major gospels tell this story. The synoptic gospels mention this story. He's full of leprosy, but he heard, or the story of Jesus. And if you go to the end of the text, there's actually a clue. It says here, but now even more, the report of Jesus has gone out. Meaning, he had got that report. That report had made its way from town after town. That one is spreading. There was no email necessary. That one would get passed on. There is a man who has the power to heal the lame, to heal the blind, to forgive men of their sins, and the leper colony would spread the message. He can make you clean again. He'd heard of this man. That's the reason that he comes. There was a man, and this man was like no other's, like no other, while day after day he's longing for this, the day has come that could possibly happen. For him, it was so far impossible, but now there was a man that could make this possible. And here it in, his, in this description of him, he was in Jesus' one of the cities, and there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face, and he begged him, what other response would this man or could this man have had? He gets nothing from anybody else except rejection. There is no doctor visitation, if you want to call it that, to the leper colony. He's going to have to somehow make it way, maybe, maybe in the right wind conditions, to get even close, to hear even someone's voice utter any word of hope. And this man makes his way to Jesus and throws himself on the ground. He's in violation of the law. It's very clear. So is Jesus in the text. Jesus, in violation of these rules, have been put there by men to guard us from this vile individual. And this was real. He's hearing the stories and he is seeing things possibly already. 
Some of the commentators say it's very likely that from a distance this man sees the impossible happen. Who is this man who can touch and a lame leg be restored or a woman's eyesight be restored? The Savior's come. This man has made his way to Jesus and all he's got is the dirt in front of Jesus and he throws himself to it. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will make me clean. So he comes begging, Jesus, if you will, you will make, you can make me clean. Believing in who Jesus is, is, is in that aspect of faith. Believing who he has claimed to be, believing what you have heard spoken of him, believing that story about Jesus in that sense down in your soul, seeing that you're not clean, seeing that you're not clean is a need as well. When you and I come to Jesus, what do we bring? I think sometimes we bring our demands. Like, I've been suffering with this long enough. Set me free. But this story helps us see, actually, we have nothing that we can bring. There can be no demand on this man's part. He knows himself that he is caught in this condition that has come outside of him, and nothing can set him free from this. And is that not the nature of sin itself? Hasn't sin so ravaged you and ravaged me? When we really think about it, nothing can solve the dilemma that we have. And so we come believing in only one who can do this, Jesus, this man that's been making his way to our town. And by the way, if you've been saved by Christ, it's because this story kept being told, written down and passed, that he would come, and he has come. And he's come in this sense, in the preaching of the word, in the declaration of this word, he's come to you. Our bodies are gripped with suffering and pain. The scriptures are clear that the gospel now provides hope that the clutches of sickness and pain and disease can be removed by God in his mercy. We believe that wholeheartedly. But greater still is our hope for the mercy of God that can forgive us our sins. It's one thing for our bodies to be healed, but if we're gonna remain a a healed body that's gonna to continue to age and die one day from something. Isn't there a worse condition left undone, left unmet? Our sin is worse than cancer. Sin is worse than leprosy. And greater still, because of the person of Jesus, the mercy of God has power over our worst enemy. I remember meeting with my sons when they were younger. You know, dad, say the craziest things to the kids to get them to start acting right. But when I would finally stop doing that, I would remember, oh, I remember the gospel. Finally, a shaft of light, sometimes delivered by the faithfulness of my wife saying, hey, remember to tell them about the Savior, not just tell them to stop doing wrong. Or hearing the story of one of the teachers at the pastor's college tell of the encounter that He's just grieved by the way he treated his son before he got to teach the class at the pastor's college. And I remember like a shaft cutting through my heart. Same thing had happened with me and my son, Alex. I'd bark some kind of order at him, treated him horribly. But when we would finally get to this, 
One of the most helpful things for my boys, and for Lauren, Lauren sinned as well. If you all know Lauren, some of us always wonder about that. She always joked that Lauren was the angel in the family. She's more like her mom than you can imagine. But, um, but she did sin once, and so she needed a savior. <laughs> what was helpful for me as a dad was to remember that I had been forgiven, that I could go to my son and say, son, you can be forgiven as well. But it's not just what you did with mom and dad that was wrong or what you did to your brother or your friend. You have a worse problem, son. You need to be forgiven by God. You've got to go to him. Your sin is worse than you can imagine. Your greatest enemy is sin, and sin is in your heart. He needed to know he was a leper in that sense. I needed to know I was a leper in a sense. I, I grew up to at least I was 16 years old in a Christ, Christian church where I was joke about that because it was mostly a cult that I grew up in. Get to talk to me after church about that one. And, uh, and the gospel broke into my family. And I realized this kid who thinks he's good is not good and I needed the Savior. How kind of the Lord to get to me. You know, the leper is begging on his face. What does that mean to you when you read the text? How desperate are you for the Savior? How bad is the condition of your soul? How awful was your sin? How awful is your sin? If you were willing, he says to Jesus, begging to be saved. Faith unto salvation has included in it a clear understanding that we can't save ourselves. But hear what Spurgeon has to say about our needing a Savior. Christ had no eye to our goodness. When he came to save us, but to our badness. I love the the old English. Christ had no eye to our goodness when he came to save us, but to our badness. This is why he came. He came because we were desperately needing to be saved. Your only plea with Christ is your guilt. Hear hear this interesting phrase, Spurgeon says, use it, sinner. Use it as David did when he said, Lord, have mercy upon my iniquity, for it's great. We cry out for mercy when we realize the depth of our depravity. That's why in that sense, seeing how bad things really are in our soul is a gift from the Lord that we would see it because then we will go to him to be set free. We will beg for his mercy. So point one is begging Jesus to make us clean, but now we also find that we can be made clean, and in this text, Jesus does make us clean. Verses 13 and 14 in the text And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. There couldn't be like a, I don't know, I heard recently that there are texts sometimes that are like skyscrapers in the text. So in other words, amazing tall buildings in a downtown complex of all the things that are being said in the text, and then suddenly in the text you get to the skyscraper of the text, and this is it. He says, Lord, if if you will You can make me clean. And here's the skyscraper. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will 
be clean. That should shock us in light of the condition of the story. We have the pure Holy One of Israel on the planet who will not have anything in himself to do with sin, who has come to meet sinners. That's the skyscraper of the text. Someone should have stopped the leper long off before he ever got to the Savior, but it shouldn't have been the disciples. It should have been God himself, snuffing the man out before he ever got near the Holy One. And yet we know by God's divine providence, the worst, as it were, among us is allowed to come right to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, I will. And he reaches out and he touches what he should not touch. He touches this leper. Let that get hold of your soul. And let it, if you're a young believer, let it move you to an old believer really quick. That you should not have been saved. I should not have been saved. And let the skyscraper of the text get the message driven home. He will be clean. Those words are shocking. Mercy is shocking. And we see it in the text. That's why we labored at length to know what a leper was like so that we could see how shocking it is that Jesus would be willing and he'd be willing also to touch him and then to make him clean. He could have called out to the leper, keep your distance, stay back, somebody stop him, and he doesn't. He could have refused the man, and he doesn't. He should not have allowed this man to draw near to him, and he did. He should not have touched this man, and he did. He could have been unwilling to give this man the time of the day, and yet he was willing. He should have been unwilling to save my wretched soul, and he was willing. I remember Chuck Mosley, my pastor during that time, sharing the gospel that I had heard over and over and over and over again as a young man, that you think you're saved and you're not. You need the Savior, and I remember like a shaft of light that night, me finally seeing the darkness of my depravity. Thank God he was willing that night. Instead of leaving me in my self-righteousness, which was quickly becoming radical unholiness in my life, he was willing to save me as a junior higher at Eastwood High School. It's shocking to me. The words out of Jesus' mouth, I will, seemingly have that same power of I am. You know, we know elsewhere from the text, I will remember their sins no more. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I will. What what a sweet song is sung to the soul of a sinner to hear those words in a repetitious refrain over and over and over in the voice of Christ in our soul. I will. I will. I will. Worship the Lord. Let your voice resound. Amazing things and exaltation of Christ is where we're headed. But hear his voice say, I will. Be clean. Same son, Alex, not because he's a greater sinner in the family. I'm just using on him because he lets me pick on him sometimes. 
was jumping on the trampoline in the backyard of our house uh, with his teenage friends years ago, and I could see it. And if you know anything about me, I do not like to get dirty. I'm weird. I love camping. That's why I got a trailer to get off the dirt. I don't like it at all. And there were his friends, and at one point, it's the middle of the summertime, and they're jumping on an unsafe trampoline. We had two trampolines in our backyard. At one point in one of those visits, one of those boys went flying from one to the other and into the rock wall. That's the scene at our house every week. Destruction and mayhem in the backyard with sweaty teenage boys jumping on the trampoline. And uh, in this particular case, they were sweaty, and we had cut the yard, and there was grass involved, and someone may have even got the hose out. They were a mess. And I remember thinking, oh my God, they're going to come in the house because their mom and dad were visiting with us, the Ruiz boys. If you want to look them up, look them up. They were, that's what we can do these days, right? The Ruiz's are at our house. I'm like, they're going to come in the house. They're going to take their sweaty bodies with grass and they're going to drag their bare feet that stink into my kitchen on the, and they're going to go and they're going to sit on my couch and that is not going to happen. And as they're piling off, there's like four or five as they're piling off and coming in the house, I greet them at the back door and I lock the door. And look at him through the pane glass. And I remember, I'm not joking, this really happened. I lock the door and look up, and Alex is the first one, and he looks at me, and you could, I could see the look on his face of deep hurt. I see his dad had just met him at the door and said, uh-uh, you're not coming in here. Maybe low-level hurt. Maybe you realize I can go to the front yard and get in through the front door. Dads might be dumb enough to realize that. The Lord has never locked me out. He's never locked me out. He came to me in my worst moment. He came to you in your worst moment. He's never locked you out. If you're here this morning and have never believed in Christ for salvation, he's come to you and he will not lock you out. It does not matter how bad your sin is. It does not matter how often you committed that sin. He will not lock you out if you place your faith in him. He's that big and he's that merciful. He's this good. He will make you clean. He won't stop you at the back door of heaven and say, "Uh uh-uh. He'll meet you at the front door and say, come all who will believe in my son. Spurgeon writes this, and I forgot to give this to them to put on quote unless they, you got it? You are the best. Here's why. Spurgeon writes this. From whom was the wedding garment made for those who had fine robes of their own, no, for the naked. For whom was the bath open? For the clean? No, for the filthy. Listen to the, state, the statement. Step in, filthy man. Thy filth is thy warrant. For whom is medicine provided? For the healthy? No. No, it is. it were an insult for the sick. Thy sickness is thy warrant. Come to mercy's hospital and be thou healed. The phrase for me is this one. Look, I know theologically we're not saying that God takes sinners and now sinners are in heaven. It's not what, that's not what Spurgeon is saying. But what he's saying is the Lord has met you and says, come in. And the phrase for me was, step in, filthy man. 
What a kind summary, only a brief summary of the gospel. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I will be clean. In a moment's time, in a flash, he's made clean. There's now no process for this man he's got to go through to be accepted by God. There's a process that's embarked on in the text so that there is proof that he has been healed and that the priest, by the way, standing at the temple, the synagogue, pointing one day to the Savior that would come, who's now on the scene, Jesus is going to send him back. He's going to send him back for proof. Jesus' charge to the leper is curious, if you ask me. You know, I, I'm wondering, this is, the, this is the part where I'm wondering why Jesus did this. Why did Jesus send this leper? He says, I, I will be clean. Now, go, listen to the word, exact words. He says, now go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded Just go right back to the law. Do what you're supposed to do. It's what at least at first it sounds like. That is not what Jesus is doing. I think there's twofold reason that's in the text and it's found in this last statement for a proof to them. This man is not going to be welcomed back into society. It doesn't matter what Jesus has done. They know he's a leper they're not just going to say, oh, okay, so this, this guy coming in from Nazareth has healed you. You're still out. There's things you still need to do. And Jesus, in a great kindness to this man, says, go back and do those things. <laughs> you watch. They're going to set you free from this as well. And you'll get to go back to your family. What a kind thing. He gets to go back and show proof. And for the priest, the priest gets this guy back. And they, he's notorious, I'm sure. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's true. You're clean. But also in this text is the command, as commanded by Moses. There's going to be a blood sacrifice made at his returning to the temple or synagogue in this case. He's going to go back and they're going to slaughter, in this case, likely two doves. And blood is going to be shed making a loud statement again that sin demands the shedding of blood. And for this man, it's also preaching all the more when Jesus later is going to say, I am the lamb that has come. He's going to say, that's what it is. I'm understanding and getting this more. But this is also a proof that's occurring in the text, saying that Jesus is actually who he says he is, and it's going right back to the big house. I don't know how else to call it. He's going sending this man who has been healed right back into the thick of this thing. He's going to go right back into the people that think they're the only ones that can dispense this cleansing. You go back to them, and they're going to see I am who I said I am. This is another one of those moments where Jesus seemingly is de desiring to be obscure in his healing, but also making a point. He is who he is. He is the one and the only one who can make a man clean, and more so clean from his sin. There's begging of Jesus to cleanse us. There is being cleaned by Jesus and finally telling others what Jesus has done. I don't have a way to fully unpack this one. If you go to Mark, it's helpful. 
If you look at verse 15, it says that this man, but now even more the report about him went abroad. If you go to Mark, it's a little more specific. Mark says, but the leper went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news. It, that is the very next text after Jesus says, don't go tell anybody. And the leper says, I'm going to tell everybody. And there's no correction. It's not like the Lord's like, and the leper disobeyed, so that's it. He's back out. <laughs> so I can't fully unpack it for you. So there. <laughs> I don't know why there's a conflict. It appears to be a conflict, but it's not. I think that when I say conflict, I'm talking about lightweight conflict. My conflict. I don't get it. I don't fully understand it yet. But I began to understand it when I realized that Jesus is making this super personal for this man. He's also, he's appealing because so far, at least until this point, he's been able to do this by going into the cities. And there's an appeal because the very next thing is he can no longer go into the cities to do this. He's going to have to. It's such a mob case. He's going to stay outside the cities and the people are going to have to come to him. The scene is that rich. In fact, one of the commentators I read was John, uh, John MacArthur. John MacArthur is saying about well, part of what's happening is Jesus' fame is so notorious that he's going to have to intentionally stay out of the cities. People are going to, are going to flock to him. But the amount of healing and the amount of work that Jesus is doing to restore these people is so pronounced, it's almost as if this whole small nation is being healed by Christ. Everyone, it seems, in the original languages, it seems like almost every person that's sick is being brought to Jesus, and Jesus is touching and healing every one of them. That's an amazing volume feel to these miracles that are going on in Christ. He is radically being exalted in the text, personally making an appeal, and I don't quite understand it. But what we do know, the result is, this man will not stay quiet about what Christ has done. And now we know we have been radically set free by Christ at the end of the Gospels. Go and be my witnesses to what has gone on. But the leper went out and began to talk freely about it. Do you remember there was a change also in the gospel when he sets the demoniac free? The demoniac wants to get in the boat with him. They get out. He heals this guy he, and casts all the demons out. The man wants to follow Jesus. Jesus says, no, go and tell them what has happened to you. The woman at the well has occurred right around this scene. She goes into her city, she, every person she can talk to, she's telling them what Jesus has done for her, and this man does. Can you imagine where this man went first, other than the synagogue, like Jesus told him? I bet he went home. I bet he went running home. I bet he hoped his home was still there. I bet he went to try to find his children who looked radically different. But I'll bet he did. That's what I would do. I would go to my friends after I stayed with my family and went camping for a while. Where would he go? He talked freely wherever he went. And so you and I have this same occurrence. You and I, at the depths of our sin, at the worst of our depravity, being met by the amazing voice of God saying, I will be clean. You and I, wherever we're sent, we're compelled to tell what has occurred to us. 
I remember Ricky described me, our, our lead pastor in El Paso, described me one day as a girl-crazy teenager that the Lord saved. And I remember the first thought was, he doesn't know the half of it. The Lord knew all of it. And he was merciful to me. That he would come and save me, <laughs> give me a wife early on that loves the Lord. How kind of him to have done it. I will tell everyone my story when I remember how far I've been saved. Will you? I'm not asking you, I'm just asking you, will you tell them what he has done? You know what, maybe you're not good at going and telling people this, but I'll bet if you remember how bad things were and how amazing it was that you were saved, there's a new willingness that begins to flood into our soul. We now have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit that says, speak of Jesus. We're now given a power in our ability to reach out and tell this story. Getting caught up in our text today helps us get caught up in our own story. But we're grounded over and over and over again in the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And when that floods our hearts that Jesus, the Savior, who has come to save sinners, we want to speak of him. This gospel, the good news brought to the darkness of this sin, sinful world, proves that he is who he said he was, the son of God who died for us, raised himself from the grave, and is right now at the right hand of God the Father. The result is beggars are healed, worshiping, and now telling of his marvelous deeds. That's what we get to do together when we gather, is remind each other, when a brother or sister comes to you and reveals a depravity that has now crouched on them during the week, take them to the glorious gospel. Take them to Jesus' word says, he was willing, you're clean already. He's faithful and just to forgive those who confess their sins to them. If you're growing up in the church, if you're a young person here, if you're growing up in the church, believe what your mom and dad are telling you because it's true when you see how bad you are go to Jesus he knows the full of it and he will make you clean let me tell you what Jesus has done for me let's pray